Hello and welcome to another episode of Political Agenda with me, PJ Thumb. Political Agenda is brought to you by New Narrative and today we've got a fantastic guest for you, the actress and advocate Devika Panika. Uh, but before we go on, I am wearing a pink, yellow and green batik shirt. We're sitting uh, in front of a map of Southeast Asia and my pronouns are he, him. This podcast is brought to you by New Narrative and we really need your support. We are entirely reliant on membership revenue and donations. So if you enjoy what you hear today and you find it useful, please do join New Narrative as a member at newnarrative.com slash join or donate at newnarrative.com slash donate. And now, Subash. Okay, so today we've got actress and advocate Devika Panica with us. But before we get to her, as always, my friend and co-host, Sean Francis Han. How are you today, Sean? Hey, I'm doing great. Really excited to be back after the break. And also really excited to get into the topic today. We're going to be speaking to Devika Panica. Uh, and she's got more titles under her than I can count, right? She's an activist, actress, aware spokesperson, TEDx speaker, brand ambassador. The list goes on, right? But before we get into all of that, uh, my name is Sean Francis Han. I'm from Wake Up Singapore. I'm wearing a black t-shirt with a skull on it and my pronouns are he, him. Over to you, Devika. What are you wearing? Thank you so much, Sean. I'm wearing a light green plain t-shirt and red color pants, legging pants, and my pronouns are she, her. All right. So we kind of got into, you know, the list of caps that you wear just now, yeah. right? But if I could get you to do a short summary about who you are for the unacquainted, what would that look like? Um, well, my name is Devika and I'm an actress on Basantam and I'm also an advocate for sexual violence awareness. Hmm. So I, I've kind of noticed that a lot of your work deals with um, sexual violence. Mm. It deals with speaking out and advocating for social justice issues, right? Yeah. What kind of inspired or pushed you to you know, dedicate so much of your career and so much of your effort into speaking out? Well, I must put a trigger warning because... Um, for sexual assault, by the way. I am a survivor of childhood sexual violence and um, part of why I went through what I did and not knowing it for so long was because of my own ignorance. I didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't understand that um, it was wrong. And once I understood that at like a later age, I felt very isolated. I thought that I was the only one who was experiencing this pain, this emotional trauma. Mm. And that was because there was no one else talking about this. Mm -hmm. So I realized that um, as the years passed by, I started talking to some of my friends and opening up to them that this is an experience that I encountered. Um, more and more people started talking back to me and sharing their own sexual violence experiences, people mm -hmm. in my immediate friend circle. So that was appalling. It like, just blew my mind because I never thought that this would have happened to anyone else in Singapore. Mm -hmm. Um, but it also changed my perspective. It, it just shifted my entire reality because I realized that this is happening to so many more people and nobody is talking about this. If there was a murder, it would be out in the news. But this is not, it's not as widely spoken about. And I thought that was a problem. Mm -hmm. I wanted to change that. But at that point, I still hadn't processed through like the trauma of it. Um, I didn't know how to go about it. I didn't have the confidence but I made it like the goal that I wanted to attain at some point, And that's how I'm here. Okay. So, I mean, 
this story of uh, your childhood sexual assault mm. is a story that, you know, if I'm not wrong, you spoke about openly yeah. for the first time on Miss V uh, Supreme, which is a beauty mm. pageant uh, on Vasantham, right? Yeah. Um, I guess before I go any further, how did you do that? <laughs> I mean, because that is really traumatic, really personal. Um, yeah, what, what led you? Um, what led you to do that? Well, okay, so prior to that, I actually came out publicly on a Facebook post mm-hmm. um, back in 2015, I think. That was when I openly announced it to like the whole world, to my, well, um, social media mm-hmm. so, um, connections yes. <laughs> that I went through this. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, a lot of people didn't know that this is something that I went through. And nobody would have guessed because I was a very bubbly girl. I was like super friendly and showed no signs of like abuse or like what people would refer to as like the template victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I did that was because I actually applied to a university in New York mm-hmm. and part of like a scholarship application required me to submit a three-piece photography work okay. um, about something that was overlooked on a personal level mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So I chose to talk about my body because that was something that I was overlooking on a daily basis and I was not taking care of it. I was pushing it to its limit, um, falling sick very often. And it all came from that point of trauma in my childhood mm-hmm. because the way I looked at my body was very different uh, after the abuse. So I, thought, I told myself, I promised myself that if I did get that scholarship, mm-hmm. that I would like, you know, put this out for the world to see because if it kind of if it was worthy enough to bring me a scholarship then perhaps people deserve to listen to this mm-hmm. and I got that scholarship so I was like oh no now it's time to walk the talk <laughs> <laughs> so I did it and I posted it and I was terrified I was like there's gonna be a lot of backlash because I know that people don't necessarily believe victims and I was aware of that um, but to my surprise there was a lot of support and mm-hmm. I, I don't think there was a lot of other um, especially Indian women who came forward to talk about their abuse the way that I did so I received a lot of support for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also because... The but abuse is this the support that you got? This was on when you made the post on Facebook? Yes. All right. Yeah, so that's where my advocacy journey actually started. All right. Um, and I was kind of like building up on that bit by bit. Um, eventually became an aware spokesperson. So it was after advocating for aware um, through the Aim for Zero campaign mm-hmm. that Vasantham had posted up the... Um, auditions for Miss V Supreme mm-hmm. and when they were posting the teasers a lot of my friends and people who follow my advocacy work they tagged me in it saying that you should go for it because the the slogan for Miss V Supreme was are you one built for ball gowns and battlefield so basically they wanted someone who had a strong message who would mm-hmm. um, you know make a difference I suppose mm-hmm. so a lot of people tagged me in that and I was not very interested in it at first because I'm not very good at Tamil. Like, I wasn't. My Tamil wasn't the most fluent after secondary school. It, it just, I just completely forgot how to speak Tamil. Um, but there were a lot of people who encouraged me to go for it. And they were like, you can make a real difference in the Indian community because you are Indian. And when you speak, the Indian community will listen because you are one of them. And I finally decided to go for it. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified, man. I was like... The, yeah, I can't uh, imagine. <laughs> the auditions, like... Because, okay, it's one thing to be able to articulate my thoughts in English. 
mm-hmm. because it's a language that I'm familiar with. Yeah. To be able to articulate your thoughts in a language that you're not familiar with or you're not very good at, it's all the more frightening because you can be misunderstood so easily. Mm-hmm. So that was like my biggest concern with mm-hmm. going for the auditions. But I was like, you know what? I'll take, I'll take that risk. Mm-hmm. If this goes out there and if some child watches it or someone watches it and knows that someone came forward and spoke about it on national television, mm-hmm. that can make a difference in that person's life. They wouldn't have to feel so isolated. So I was ready to take that risk. Okay. And I did. Like, um, right before they called my name, I was ready to like, I want to go, I want to go. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, my best friend, Kale, she's the one who was like, Devika, you're already here. Mm-hmm. No harm in just trying if you get rejected you get rejected but you get to move on right mm. so I was like okay, okay you're right you're right and I went for it man I just mm. I was having a full blown like um, anxiety attack on stage but I think that was one of my proudest moments as an advocate like I'm really glad I did that so did you kind of plan to share the story on national television beforehand or was it something that kind of came in the moment It is something that I planned. Okay. Because I was like, whether I get into the competition or not, I want to put this story out. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to say that this is, I am a person, look at me, a person like me could have encountered that. And I'm a survivor. Um, any one of us can be a survivor. Mm-hmm. And we need to believe. We need to give them the platform, the voice, the power to be heard. Mm. So what was the uh, response that you got after... Um, well, you won the you won the the, oh the show, yeah. um, and uh, but what was the what was the response uh, with regard to you coming out and sharing your story and sharing your experience? How did people react uh, from there? Because you know, on Facebook, everybody's going to be quite nice and supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, they're your friends, right? What, what but this is on Facebook. I mean, you mean for a, a friends only post or a friends only friends. post? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. It, it was still open to the public, but like the post that I posted yeah. was open to the public mm-hmm. and. Um, Despite that, people were still very supportive at that mm-hmm. time. But for Miss V, after the audition, people were supportive. I would say the the negative things started coming in only after I won. Okay. Which was very interesting to me, actually. All right. But I, so I, when when did you share the story? This was early on in the series, I suppose. Yeah, it was the very first episode. It was oh, like the audition. Okay. Yeah, okay. The audition. So um, through the audition, I got into the show. And then there was like um, 12 rounds. Yeah. So the 12th round is the finals. Mm-hmm. So each round we would have to do a certain task. Then there would be a catwalk. Then there would be a Q&A. Mm. Um, much like any other like beauty pageant. The only difference uh, was that this was also a reality show. So there were hidden cameras um, that was capturing us and what we were doing behind the scenes, behind mm-hmm. um, the performance. You know, So that was what was different. Mm-hmm. Wait, um, uh, just to clarify, did you know there were hidden cameras? I... <laughs> Well, I found out in like the second episode. <laughs> so initially, they didn't tell you? Uh, they told us that we would be recorded at all times. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, it's not like they did anything unethical. They didn't. Okay. Um, they did record us. I mean, they told us that we would be recorded at all times. And they were also kind of like um, telling us, okay, you shouldn't change in this area. You all should right. only change in the... Right. In the, the uh, you know, those, those cubicles areas, that's right. been given to you. Mm. So how did you find out? Okay, so <laughs> this this is big, I mean like mainly because I had a film background. So mm-hmm. I studied film in poly. So I understand like the the basics of editing. <laughs> so I felt like without hidden cameras, mm-hmm. 
there was no way they were going to edit some of the stuff. Like, so in the auditions, we had to remove our makeup because they wanted to see how comfortable we would be without makeup on mm. stage to appear on national television. So we would all show up there with our makeup and everything. And there was a point right before we got on stage, uh, the task for audition was to remove our makeup. But there was no cameras there. Mm-hmm. But there was a mirror, there were lights on the mirror. So I was just like, um, <laughs> it's weird if I like came to the audition with makeup and stepped on stage with no makeup. And like that mm. would be a big editing problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's definitely a hidden camera. Like, <laughs> so then um, the first round, I got the best um, in the first round of um, the competition. So I got mm-hmm. immunity for the second round. So what that means is that I don't have to perform any of the second round tasks. Mm-hmm. That gave me a lot of free time in the backstage. <laughs> so therefore, I figured out that um, there, there are <laughs> cameras and I did the whole finger test. For those mm. of you who don't know what the finger test is, you can check if any of the mirrors are two-way mirrors by putting your finger on it. And if your reflection has a gap between your finger and the reflection, then that's a proper mirror. But if it doesn't have a gap and your finger seems to be touching, mm. then that's a two-way mirror. So... Stay safe. Helpful information. Yeah, I know. I remembered it like from Crime Watch many, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, um, so I want to come back to, to to a point that you raised just now that was really interesting. The the negative backlash only started when you won. Yeah. Can you explain that? Uh, the negative backlash. I think it's also because of the things that I talk about as an Indian woman. I'm mm. very um, openly sex positive okay yeah so like Mm -hmm. i talk about a lot about like sexuality and female sexual pleasure female um sexual health and all of these things Mm -hmm. and within the indian community this can get a bit uncomfortable for a lot of people because Mm -hmm. we don't talk about sexual health or sexuality or any of that nature until you get married even after marriage there's not really a lot of um talk on that Mm -hmm. it's a big taboo in in our culture and I find it quite ironic because um, we are also the culture that originates it, like Kamasutra or, originates it yes. from our lands. So I don't know where what went wrong, but yeah. it is it is the reality that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. And if I can suggest DJ, yeah, it's called gonna... British colonialism. <laughs> <laughs> How did they do it this time? <laughs> oh, you know the the Victorians exported their morality everywhere, and of course, when you have uh, an elite culture. Uh, people below you you want to emulate or you absorb the culture or the culture is forcibly imposed upon you right or the culture simply is more seen more influential it becomes normalized so so much of what we consider you know indian singaporean malayan malaysian is actually british culture that was um imported and imposed upon us by our colonial masters just like indonesians and the dutch or the vietnamese and the french Mm. right culture is very fluid and it's constantly evolving and absorbing and so um you can actually see uh how it changes over time because of colonialism that's Mm. that's the the short version but yeah the victorians were I mean, the, the, the word Victorian has become a synonym for someone who's extremely prudish and conservative, especially with regards to issues of sex. So mm. no surprise that the cultures that they colonized ended up going that way as well. All right. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Thank you for answering my question. Yeah. <laughs> something I've always wondered around about and like um, I have spent sleepless nights thinking about this. Mm. So 
I can sleep peacefully tonight. Nice. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have been helped. <laughs> Coming back to you though, um, yeah. So you're you're sex positive. You mm. come out. You speak about these issues that you know very few people um, in Singapore, let alone the Indian community, speak about. What, how did you receive the, the negative backlash? What were people saying? What were they doing? Um, when I won, a lot of people were saying that I only won because I had a good story. Okay. That it's not because I had talent or that I deserved to win um, as per the competition standards, right? Mm-hmm. So that really did like affect me mental health-wise because I would much rather lose knowing that I put in my best effort and that didn't match the standards rather than be selected just because my story was sensational. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not at all, like, the goal that I was going for, you know, like, that's not what I was hoping to achieve by being a part of that competition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think partly it's because of the things I talk about. So um, I was also well known for being very compassionate in the competition. So with the other competitors, we, were, we had a very good relationship. So even though we were competitors, we were very, we were very supportive of each other. Hmm. And it was, it was visible when you watched the show. Okay. But a lot of people were not buying it because they were like, oh, this is clearly scripted. Um, there's no way like pageant girls would be this supportive towards each other. There's no way that there's no like, um, can I say bitchiness? Am yeah. I allowed to say? I think people have been watching too much American reality <laughs> TV. That's very. That's how Americans edit, and and they actually, um, it's not so much scripted, but they provoke drama, right? Yeah. They, they push cameras in your face at moments of stress, and then yeah. they ask you like, "What do you think your dead grandma would have thought of this?" And then they only show yeah. that your response, right? Mm. Or you know, this person said this about you the other day. How do you feel about this? Just as yeah. you're doing something very stressful. Whereas there's plenty of reality TV where people are supportive and British Bake Off, for example, <laughs> is maybe the most mm. famous for that, where everyone is, is um, you know, so, so helpful to each other. Yeah. And even the hosts are uh, so incredibly uh, supportive when people have breakdowns. And mm. so you can have very compelling television without being without having all this tension and bitchiness i completely Mm. agree because i mean like the premise of the competition itself is so stressful because Mm. we all have the same task and we all have to be creative in our own ways and we have um limited time Mm. to accomplish these things and then that in itself is already stressful enough Mm -hmm. um and we i'm just very fortunate that i was in a competition with other girls who had a similar mindset and we were on all on the same wavelength when it came to being supportive of one another mm-hmm. that even in the finals we were we were all very supportive of one another mm. and people couldn't put the two together the fact that i was competitive and i was assertive in things that i advocate about and i can also be kind and compassionate like they couldn't put the two image together so mm. that created a lot of confusion in the viewers and they couldn't see me winning they just thought that Oh, so figuring out that there was a hidden camera didn't help because they were like, oh, now she knows there's a camera. <laughs> no, now she's acting a certain way so that... Mm. Okay. Yeah. If lying, you, know, <laughs> you know, jump in again, it's like such so late stage capitalism, right? Yeah. It's um, this idea that if you uh, want to win, other people must lose, right? <laughs> it's, it's typical. It's like our prime minister, Mr. Mm. Lee Xianlong saying, oh, we must eat other people's lunch or they will eat our lunch. 
right? That's a certain kind of mindset and view of the world, which is, I, I believe, incredibly destructive. I believe but so too. But that's what neoliberal capitalism has bred into us, you know, mm. that if you're not screwing other people, then you are the one being screwed, which is crazy because we've got thousands of years of civilization showing that if we work together, trust each other, we're compassionate, you know, we help each other, we build a society where we're all supported, then we move so much faster and further and we progress so much more. And that's the society we should be aspiring towards. And yeah. that reality TV show, you know, it sounds like it was um, promoting the, the right things in that sense of, yeah. of, of um, allowing the contestants to be both competitive and supportive which these are not things which oppose each other exactly so, but you. thank you and like i mean i have to say a big thanks to like all my girls because um i'm just happy that we were all on the same wavelength in fact after like our first meeting about like the the competition we all sat down and had a meeting by ourselves where we were like we have a huge responsibility as the girls as the competitors in this competition mm. people are going to watch this is going to be a big deal we need to set the example that girls don't have to fight to be supportive like you don't one of us is gonna win mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that the rest of us have to fight and not be supportive of one another let's change that yeah. so i was really proud of that moment with them and i think they really practice what they preached nice yeah so i mean where, sorry before yeah. we go on just one last question was the, how was this judged was it a panel of judges was it a popular vote uh, it was a panel of judges. Okay. Yeah, so I actually did not win by popular vote. Like, there was no voting for this competition. Right. Previously, mm -hmm. there were. I right. think that's also another reason why people... There yeah. might have been a lot of backlash because they were like, if we was up to voting, perhaps I might not have won. So mm. people... It like kind of fed into the the narrative that I mm. won because I had a story. Mm. I, I, I don't know about that. It could have worked <laughs> either way. Like, you know... <laughs> you could have won a popular vote because you had a story. Whereas you might say professional judges, they're supposed to be, because they're experienced, knowledgeable, they know what to look out for. Yeah, It's the same argument why um, the Singapore government abolished the jury system and put all their trust in professional judges because mm. professional mm. judges are supposed to be well-trained in the law and understand yeah. what to look out for. You know, mm. So there's arguments both ways. I wouldn't... I don't think uh, arguing that you won because you had a good story holds any water, yeah. obviously. And, well, as yeah. much as it affected my mental health, mm. I, I did manage to find a, a peace with it because I just realized it's the same thing. You know, when, when I win, it meant like the other two participants didn't win. So the ones who were hating on me were probably just people who wanted them to win. So mm. I just see it as them acting out of love for the other competitors. That's nice. So when I look All at right. it that way, I can accept it. I'm like, you know what? They're entitled to feel the way that they feel. All and right. that's okay. Mm. So, I mean, on that positive note, right? What about the positive feedback that you got uh, oh. from winning and from, uh, you know, sharing and coming out uh, about your story? Oh. Do you think that you kind of stimulated discussion and conversation in the Indian community in Singapore? Do you think that it touched a raw nerve maybe? Uh, bringing yeah. up a discussion topic that I think people are quite sensitive about. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely touched a raw nerve. Okay. I think, um, I don't think anyone else has actually come forward to talk about it as openly as I have. Mm -hmm. um, and even though, um, well, on TV, there's only so much I can say yeah. because it is a channel representation and everything. So we have to respect the channel. But like on my own social media, I do talk about everything quite mm -hmm. a lot more openly. Um, and because 
I was in the competition, a lot of people started following me on my social media. Mm-hmm. So whatever I couldn't say on TV, they still could hear from my social media posts or, you know, activism. And I received a lot of positive feedback from so many people. I received so many messages from other survivors mm-hmm. and people who are still being abused mm-hmm. in a sexual uh, violence situation. And it just, um, it basically zoomed in on how prevalent this issue is. Mm-hmm. And it showed me that how relatable this issue is to so many Indian people. Yeah. Yeah. So as much as it is positive because now I'm getting all this outreach and I'm, ge- I'm reaching more people, it's also overwhelming because I'm just seeing an increase in people reaching out to me with regards to help. Okay. Yeah. So how do you think that the issue of sexual assault, sexual violence, takes on different intersectional contours with regard to the Indian community in Singapore? Are there any kind of cultural norms um, or any kind of, you know, trends or habits that would be part of the Indian community that interact with sexual assault, that interact with sexual violence, that we don't often look at it. Definitely. One of the things I've observed is how, like, um, the biggest thing I've realized a lot of people don't understand in Singapore is consent. Okay. Like, as much as people say, yeah, you can say no, Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know that they can say no to their husbands. Mm. You can say no to your partner. You can say no to a friend. Mm Mm-hmm. For me personally, I was taught that I should, I can say no to a stranger. Mm-hmm. But when it came to like people I knew in my life, can I still say no? Or yeah. am I disrespecting this person? What if this person is older than me? Mm. So I feel like there's a lot of rape culture within the Indian community. Okay. And what kind of enables that is the way we bring up children in our homes. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if you are in a family where you have a, a brother and a sister. Like, mm-hmm. so you have children of both genders yes. or sex. And the parents tend to bring up the, the women or the girls with more strict um, upbringing as compared to the boys. Sure. Or mm-hmm. this is what I've observed in like within my friend groups and everything. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, girls have to come back home by like 10 p.m. Oh, wow. Or 7 p.m. sometimes. Okay. But the boys can stay out as long as they like because they are boys. They can protect themselves. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that a lot of time when girls start like asking, why can the boys stay out longer than me? The parents say, oh, the girls who stay out longer are not very good. Like they are kind of like degenerates. You don't, you don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. You have to be a good girl. Like you have to be in Tamil, we say, that means like a... You're like this innocent, pure, pure person. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be this image of purity and honor and virtue, all of these things. Mm-hmm. But this is mainly emphasized on females, yeah. on women, and not necessarily on men. Okay. So the thing I've observed is that when boys grow up in this household and they hear this narrative from the parents where they're like, oh, any women who spend time outside beyond a certain time they are not decent women. Mm -hmm. These boys, when they are out late, they might see women outside who spend time beyond their curfew. Ah, And they might think that, listen, my mom said that these kind of women are clearly indecent, so it's okay if I 
sexualize this woman because mm-hmm. she's indecent, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very subtle form of conditioning that we don't talk about or we don't really realize because it's ingrained from home. Mm-hmm. And it's just what our parents are teaching us based on what they know. Okay. So given these sort of attitudes mm. that, you know, uh, some portion of the Indian community have, right? Um, what then happens to sex education? What happens to discussions about sexual health? Honestly, um, there's no sex education talks at home. Like even at all? At all. Okay, wow. At all. I mean, for me at least, um, my parents... I had the talk with my mom. <laughs> oh, so you initiated it. <laughs> I initiated it. <laughs> when, how old were you when this happened? I was 21. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> so it was right after like I, oh no, actually I was 23. Wow. Okay. I was 23. Yeah. I was going for one of my um, aware interviews mm-hmm. and my mom knew that I was, you know, working with aware and I talk about like sex positive things. Mm-hmm. So on my way out, she was like, don't say the wrong thing. And I'm like, well, what? I'm sorry, but can you like elaborate what you meant <laughs> by the wrong thing? Yeah. She's like, don't give them the idea that like you, you've, you've had sex. Okay. So I had to like look her dead in the eye and say, you know, I've already had sex, right? And like her world just shattered. Like she was like, oh, like the honor, the family honor. So I shouldn't be laughing, but I, 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 I cope with humor. Okay. Mm. But the thing is that I sat her down and I told her, like, why is it so important to you that I remain a virgin? Mm. Like, the first, the first thing that she said to me upon hearing that response from me, like, the fact that I already had sex, right? Her first response was, what will your future husband think? Mm-hmm. Which was such a... It was, I was extremely sad to hear that because it wasn't um, about whether I had it with consent or whether I was happy that it happened. Mm. Was it safe? Was it someone I liked? You know? So the focus on things is a lot more about like the future mm. than it is about the safety of the people in our life. Mm. And parents don't realize how important it is to talk about consent and saying no, setting boundaries. Um, because this information can keep you safe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, given, okay, so given that that is, uh, you know, a sort of a cultural norm, right? Um, and given that a lot of the time these discussions either don't happen or when they do happen, they take a problematic it's direction. It's very vague. Yeah, it's yeah. very vague. You find yourself in a kind of awkward or uncomfortable situation, which is having been a survivor of sexual assault. Mm-mm. Was there then any discussion? What happened in the aftermath of that? They had to have talked about it. They talked to... Yeah. So what happened after the abuse? My parents did find out, like about a year into mm-hmm. the abuse. They did find out. And they took it to court and he was sentenced to six years in prison with 14 strokes of the cane. Mm-hmm. However, right after that, my parents came back home and they kind of told me that... Um, they told me that um, it's already settled. Let's not talk about it ever again. Just forget about it. Like, it's a bad dream. Okay. They, they also told me that I cannot tell anyone else about it because it can change the way they look at me. Hmm. But at seven, like, that didn't seem like a big deal, you know? I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess. I won't tell anyone. But when the trauma and the realization hit me at the age of 11, mm-hmm. which was when I was learning, like, health education and, you know, they talk about, like, molestation and all, and, mm-hmm. like, that really hit me like a bus and... 
I couldn't turn to anyone mm. because like those words were still clear as yeah. day, you know, and that really changed a lot of things for me. I couldn't, I did very poorly in school afterwards. Mm-hmm. I got bullied because I became very reserved. I was acting weird. I was talking to myself. Mm-hmm. It was like, just like a domino effect. And I would say that had my parents been a bit more open about it, like if they just said that, you know, what happened to you was bad, but you can always talk to us about it. Mm-hmm. That would have made a huge difference in my recovery. Mm. Yeah, because especially when they said like people might change the way they think about me, it made me feel mm. like I had to care about what people thought about me. Yeah. And in a lot of Indian communities, like how people think about us as a family, like a family name, the family reputation, all of this is very important. Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I don't see it's that important anymore, but to my parents and their parents, it was important. And it kind of, you know, um, reaffirms this belief that the family reputation can be affected when something happens to their daughter that the daughter didn't ask for. Mm. You know, like things like sexual assault. In Mm. fact, in India, if someone um, sexually assaults a member of another family, like a female, they will get them married because that's the solution. To the dishonor that's happened. Okay. Yeah. So like it's it's a very culturally rooted problem, but has this always been the culture? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it has become a culture at some point. Okay. Yeah. And it's so difficult for them to talk about sexual violence because it is um it contains topics about sex because sexual violence is the lack of consent in any sexual situation, right? Mm-hmm. So to talk about sexual violence, you have to talk about sex. Yeah. If we talk about sex, we have to talk about what sex is. Yes. And a lot of parents are also worried that if we talk about sex to kids at a young age, then it might encourage them to have sex at a younger age. Not really following the logic there, but okay. Yeah, like this is the fear that they have. Like basically they are like, oh, if you tell a child that um, if you... If you don't scare them away from it, then they'll yeah. just find their way into it. Um, I mean, by the same logic, if you, you know, teach a child about math at a young age, they should get into math. You know? something, something yeah, I never like thought that. about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know. So why don't our schools work better? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there in itself lies the problem, right? Mm. Like parents are hesitant to talk about it because of like how awkward it is to talk about sex. Mm. But you don't have to talk, make it awkward. You can, you can just, um, it can be very matter of fact mm. so so I, I kind of want to talk here about um, racism mm. against Indian people in Singapore mm. and then also you kind of coming out um, speaking about your experience of sexual assault um, was there any kind of ov- overlap there you know um, how did you come out mm. uh, and, and speak about it you know I mean, personally, I've not experienced anyone attacking me for being racist when I talk about, like, the issues within the Indian community. Okay. But I've been attacked of, like, not being Indian enough to talk about the Indian community. Okay. Is, huh. that, is that racism that I have not recognized as racism yet? Gatekeeping. It's, it's a, yeah, a, it's you a know, mm. form of gatekeeping. I, I don't know if it's racism, but it is a, a form of gatekeeping in that you, you know, they're saying you don't have the right to talk about this. And of course you have the right to talk about it. Why shouldn't you? Yeah, like mm. I'm, I'm, my parents are from India. So like I'm first generation Singaporean. Like 
my roots are Indian, bro. Yeah. Like, it's like, I'm not even like third, third generation Singaporean, you know, mm-hmm. like not Singapore washed in that sense. Yeah. But, but really, does it matter where it you're from? Or where you're from? Yeah. It doesn't. But like, I don't think it has to matter because um, everyone should be talking about racism. Mm-hmm. I think we all have to address that. Look, I think I've been racist at some point and mm-hmm. it's about time that I acknowledge and do better, mm. right? But does that mean that I'm not going to address the problems within the Indian community? I think as an individual within the Indian community, I have the responsibility to mm. hold people accountable, including myself. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the kind of first spark that got you to open up and start speaking about this? Because uh, you No, about um, sexual assault. Because... Uh, very very early on in this talk right in this discussion you kind of mentioned how um, you had friends who you were talking to Mm. and then that's where you realise that oh my god this is pretty widespread Mm. what was that first spark if you can remember I just oh man I'm sort of trying to put myself in 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 the situation. I wouldn't tell anybody. I'd I just think be it like was <laughs> just more of like a gut feeling, like something told me I had to. Because when you are someone who's gone through like internal emotional turmoil, mm-hmm. you can see that in other people, mm-hmm. and not like very. I mean, I'm not trying to say that I'm like some psychic here. I'm just mm-hmm. like you can feel when someone is behaving a certain way because you've behaved that way before. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. have started like make yourself small in certain situations because Mm -hmm. you don't believe that you deserve a space, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And just something told me that I should share my story with her. And Mm -hmm. I did. And sadly, this is a girl whose own father was abusing her till that point, Mm -hmm. even at that point. So, like, it broke my heart to know that there are people out there who still experience this. And she was like 16, Mm -hmm. you know, so... Um, bit by bit, I started sharing with more people. Mm-hmm. Of course, there were situations where people didn't believe me. There were times when like, um, people thought that I was too much to handle. Like, this is too much emotional trauma or baggage for me to mm. have as a, in, a, in a friend. Like, those things have happened. Mm-hmm. But I think like, I kept seeing the bigger picture, which is that it is going to help to know that you are not alone in this. Mm-hmm. While we're on the topic of speaking out, uh, to your friends about sexual assault mm-hmm. what 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 can men do right if if somebody one of our female friends comes out and mm-hmm. shares this with us and we have i mean very little vantage point into this issue mm-hmm. um, how how would you want men to be better to respond to these issues um, to really show okay we 're on your side we're allies you know yeah I yeah. think it's a lot easier said than done because mm-hmm. I understand that it can be hard as a man to hear that someone of your own kind or like your own gender have caused this kind of a hurt on someone else. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it doesn't happen the other way around. I'm not saying that women don't sexually assault men. It's just that statistically, it's been shown that predominantly male men are the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. And there have been situations where my guy friends have come to me and asking me for the same advice because someone they know mm-hmm. have come forward to confide in them mm-hmm. about a perpetrator that's a mutual friend between the two. Mm. In those situations, um, as much as 
I understand why you would want to defend your friend and say maybe he didn't understand or maybe this perpetrator was confused about the whole situation and, you know, pushed forward. Hmm. Don't do that. Yeah. The most important thing you need to understand is that when someone confides in you and if you are the very first person that this victim is confiding in, how you respond can have a huge impact in the way they process that trauma and how they recover from it. Mm-hmm. Because they've just encountered like a huge shift in their sense of safety. Mm-hmm. They were feeling, they are now feeling unsafe. So you must recognize this as men. And in that point, your priority should be to help them feel more safe. Mm-hmm. The fact that the victims are confiding in another man after an encounter with a male perpetrator, I think that's good. So now it's even more important that mm-hmm. you be uh, an ally. Yeah. And how you can do that is by firstly listening. If you do not know what to say, you can say, I actually don't know what to say. If you need support from someone else, you can always ask the victim for permission mm. to get someone else who might be better capable or more capable to assist mm. in that support. But anything to show that you are on the side of the victim. Yes. That's what will help. Okay. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's the that's a full Because I don't just, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Like I don't expect everyone answer. to understand how because it's a very complicated it's a it's it's not an easy situation to be in and it's difficult and you not everyone knows how to handle that. But just showing them that you are with them and you're not questioning anything, you're not doubting anything, you're not like gaslighting them. Don't, don't do any of that. Just listen, mm. be present. And you can even admit, say, I do not know how to respond in this situation. And that's you being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You, can change, you, can, you can shift the whole thing by just saying that I believe you. I do not know how to respond here. I do not know how to help you, but I do believe you. Is it okay if I can like seek support for you? Mm-hmm. That will help. Nice. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> I heard this once, uh, and and I don't know. Maybe you can respond to it. Um, but and and it's something that really helped me understand and get me in a different frame of mind. But when a guy is walking up to a girl that he likes, right? Mm. What he's fearful of is, oh, I hope she doesn't turn me down, make fun of me, mm. you know, mm. walk away. When, 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 but the girl in that situation, when she's talking to a guy, is thinking, oh, I hope he doesn't assault me, rape me, you know. And, and that understanding that difference actually really helped me yeah. when I first heard it years ago. Is this, mm. is this something that you, you feel a good paradigm to think about? Yeah, definitely. Mm. I've spent nights, many, many nights, just um, imagining worst-case scenarios and preparing myself mentally how I'm going to tackle it. Mm. Let's say if I was followed home or if someone gets into the same lift as me, how am I going to like handle that? So these were the things that I was thinking about as like a 14-year-old, mm. you know. Wow. So um, whereas like I don't know if anyone else or any guy was thinking about that, you know. No, they're far so, away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's like soccer and like playing <laughs> land. That was the two things. I was also thinking about kicking, but like as self-defense. Like yeah. Oh god. <laughs> See what I mean? Like humor is a coping mechanism, mm. but nothing to be ashamed there. I think that's definitely true, and it's not just an isolated thing. I know. I have a lot of girlfriends, like I have a lot of female friends in my Mm -hmm. life and my family is predominantly female. Mm -hmm. And I would say that every single one, every single female in my family feels the same when it comes to their safety. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like anytime a guy might be just coming to you for direction, your heart's already racing because you're like, this guy's gonna like do some sh- some shit to me. Like, mm. that's what you start thinking. Now, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen to men, but it definitely happens to a lot of women. Mm. Like, this is how they feel. I I, I want to kind of now, you know, get into something a little bit lighter. Yeah. Um, but I kind of want to talk about your 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 work as a brand ambassador, right? Yeah. So that's quite that's quite interesting, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you work with brands. Um, uh, you you work with brands like what? What is this called? Base of Sweden. Base of Sweden and Lumina. Luna. Luna Naturals. Luna Naturals. Dear God. Um, okay. It's okay. <laughs> Clearly not a good uh, brand sponsor, <laughs> brand ambassador, which is your job, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so you 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 work with these brands, um, and I'm kind of wondering, ha- has has you being outspoken, speaking mm. out about social justice issues, has that ever negatively impacted your career, your ability to, you know, get brands or to represent brands? Has it ever kind of, you know, been a disadvantage for you? It has been. There have been times when, like, brands wanted to um, work with me and then once they have a better idea of, like, the kind of content that I put out, mm-hmm. they become a lot more uncomfortable because they do not want the brand to be associated with this kind of a narrative. Okay. Yeah, so, like, once or twice this has happened to me. But I don't really, like, um, pay much attention to it. Like, I don't let it affect me because mm-hmm. I don't consider myself, like, a like a brand influencer. You know, like, I'm, I'm an adv- advocate for sexual violence awareness. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm an activist. Yeah. So that's still, like, my main you know, um, content. And if I do get brands and I get to work with them, I do care about what kind of brands it is. Like Luna is a, a sustainable brand, Luna mm-hmm. Naturals. They're a period care company. Um, they make sure that the kind of period care products that they, they um, manufacture are like eco-friendly mm-hmm. and like as little waste as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So like these kind of things, like I'm not the most uh, well versed in like sustainability, but the fact that I can help out in by just making the right choice when it comes to like pure care products itself mm-hmm. um, helps. Yeah. I think it's quite. I think it's quite interesting that you know a lot of brands are still kind of afraid to come out mm. and lend their support to activists or to individuals who are speaking out about this issue because it really challenges this weird narrative that people yeah. like Xia Xue have been pushing you know that mm-hmm. like we're in this we're in the hold of some leftist conspiracy mm-hmm. and like you know all these big brands they're just no, cancelling uh, individuals that that disagree with well, them I, I don't I mean okay there's a difference between like holding someone accountable and bullying right yeah. so like on certain things that Xia Xue spoke about I do agree like, I don't think we should bully anyone yeah but at the same time, you deserve to be held accountable for the things that you've said. Mm-hmm. And like as a person in influence and power, because from influence, you can get power. Mm-hmm. You have to constantly check in with yourself and see what kind of a message you're putting across. Mm-hmm. Because there are people who look up to you, who use you as the, the template of like, oh, this is the kind of human being I want to be. This is the kind of life I want to live. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of things I want to believe in. Yeah, And... If you are just putting across things that are destructive, then that's 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 wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to kind of get into two kind of cynical questions, but mm-hmm. I mean, one of them is is uh, regarding uh, Miss V, mm. and you know the 
the description of that is can, can be seen as it's a beauty pageant, yeah. right? And beauty pageants are often criticized as these instruments of sexism, of patriarchy, right? So, yeah, what do you think about beauty pageants or even more broadly taking on this sort of influencer position, taking up this very public, show-busy, mm. actressy position um, in an industry that is so sexist that, you know, in some way, shape or form, you know, objectifies women, puts them on a stage, uh, selects them, I think oftentimes or in big part due to mm. how attractive or how marketable they are. What do you think about this, about utilizing this deeply problematic industry or, or um, field of work and trying to kind of do activism through that? Hmm. I think some cynical people might say it's like, oh, you're 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 feeding the machine, you know. I definitely it's... am feeding the machine. Like, I'm not <laughs> denying that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, am I aware that like the industry can be sexist? No, I completely understand. And in fact, like that's one of the things that I was hoping to leverage on because mm-hmm. I know I am pretty. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that I have beauty privilege. Like, I understand that. But what am I gonna do with that? I want to go into the industry. Like, while I'm inside, I can do a lot more mm-hmm. as compared to if I wasn't there. Mm. So that was, like, my whole point. Like, am I, am I doing something to change that? Yes, absolutely. Like, even while I'm being a pageant queen, I don't go around parading myself as, like, this flawless image. Mm-hmm. Like, I try to be as natural and as raw with my followers as possible. In fact, I show them that it's not all glamorous and Mm. I have my days when I break down and I show them that. Mm. Um, I'm a very private person as much as I talk about a lot of things about my life. Mm -hmm. I'm a a selective open book. Okay. So I'm very selective about what I choose to be open about. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then, I understand that like my responsibility with being the pageant winner and now being a face of Basantam and an advocate for sexual violence and everything. I have to be real with them because the idea that they are selling in media is fake. Everything is sellable because it's perfect. Mm -hmm. But we are moving past that now. We're trying to connect. We're trying to be real with one another. We're Mm -hmm. trying to be honest and raw. And that's the kind of thing that I personally want to brand myself as. Mm And I'm doing that despite being in that industry in hopes that it will give other people in the industry the courage to make that step. That's great. Do you yeah. think that the showbiz industry in Singapore is moving forward? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. I, mm. do, I do see it from inside the industry. I yeah. definitely see it. Um, I was called for a Channel 5 audition mm-hmm. for a character um, th- that didn't have an English, uh, an Indian name or anything. It actually had a um, Malay name Oh Okay uh, Like yeah So like But I was still called To audition for the role Which mm-hmm. I thought was great Like despite the fact That I was Indian right Yeah So I was like Okay that's great I, I mean I turned down the role Because it had like Explicit scenes That's not relevant now mm-hmm. um, But that being said Like I do think That a lot of things Are changing Even in Basantum Like for Miss V Supreme We did have like um, Women of different body types And not everyone was skinny Oh Yeah we had we had girls who were like much darker skin tone. Mm-hmm. Um, we had women who were on the bigger side. We had women who were skinny. We had women who were short. You know, like so. Mm. There was that that diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, can there can we still improve? Definitely, there's a lot more that we can do to improve. Um, but 
I do see an improvement already. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we can continue on that path and we can be more mindful mm-hmm. as like content creators. I'm really glad. I'm really yeah. glad to hear that. I- can I ask you sort of, I don't know if you're really in a position to answer though, because we have a, a government which consistently promotes a very specific idea of gender roles and the family. Mm. And then because of its control um, and or indirect ownership of most, almost all forms, main, all mainstream forms of media in Singapore, uses that media or enforces that upon um, the media that we consume, mm. right? So you cannot show alternative lifestyles yeah. in the media, right? Yeah. That's the most obvious thing. But yeah. also, there's this relentless push for certain specific ideas of what a family is yeah. and should be. Yeah. And that's deeply problematic because many of the things we're talking about stem from these very specific gender roles. Yeah. Um, they stem from things which we often don't even think about, you mm. know, about how many of uh, the cultures that uh, exist in Singapore or globally mm. um, and the cultural practices emerge because women are treated as property, right? Yeah. The things we talk about, marriage ceremonies, yeah. right? Um, and the role of the woman in the household. Mm. So, do you feel like that is changing within the kind of media that is being produced and the roles you're seeing, the scripts, the stories, you know, all the things that you're seeing? Is, is that changing? Or is this hard government line, is this the government line softening? Or what, 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 how has that changed? I would say that I've been a part of a production in Media Corp, in Basantam, mm-hmm. that has... Um, the whole show is about women and women of different kinds. Mm. Like so, it's three different women. There's a woman who is there's a woman who is um, married, um, and then there's a woman who is career driven, and then there's a woman who is a scammer. So, mm-hmm. mm. what I'm trying to say is that in this drama, my role was a woman who is not at all concerned about marriage. Like in fact, mm. I don't believe in the system of marriage so I was very thrilled to play this role because Mm -hmm. it is the kind of role that you don't normally see Mm. so are there more of such roles not necessarily but are there such roles yes so it is there but it's not as much as I wished it was but the fact that it is there itself is something that brings me hope and Mm. I think um, with more there are more and more like um, youth directors these days, people who write stories who are younger, who are within my generation, and they understand the importance of storytelling. They understand how pivotal it is to changing social fabric and beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I can see that in the way that they produce things. Yes, it's a bit sneaky. It's here and there. It's not like as direct, mm-hmm. but people do pick it up. I, f- I still feel though that uh, you know what you're saying kind of you still have to have certain boundaries and tropes, right? So what you said was, you described four different characters. Here's mm. a woman who's married. Mm. Here's a woman who's career-driven. Here's a woman who's a scammer. And then yourself, who's not concerned about marriage. And actually, why, you know, it's, it's such a cliche to have this division <laughs> between, oh, the married woman and the career-driven woman. Because I know plenty of 
women who are both. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. In fact, you could have all three. A career woman who's married and a scammer. Right? <laughs> it's... My, my next production will be that. <laughs> Y'all watch out. But I do agree. And I think, mm. like, um, that's the thing, right? Like, we think contradicting things cannot coexist. Mm. Or what seems to be contradictory. Yeah, what seems... Yeah, because, like... It's not contradictory, but, yeah. I don't think it's contradictory, but, like... A lot of to a lot of people they might find it contradictory i think that's also the reason a lot uh, why a lot of people couldn't accept my win because they saw these like mm. seemingly contradictory traits about me as a person mm. right where i'm competitive and compassionate and understanding supportive mm. um while also being assertive like um and i think a huge part of it is because of how we've been taught to put things into boxes mm. And now we're trying to break away from that boxes. We don't need boxes. Mm. Yeah. We don't need boxes. The boxes are there just for the convenience of other people. Mm. Yeah. Right? Like, that's what I believe. And, like, yeah. a lot of my identity crises are because of these boxes that people like to put me in. And I don't... I refuse to be put into that. Yes. And I Amen. Think, Amen, yeah. sister. Amen. <laughs> um, I do think that with that particular point, when you put it that way, I agree that I think... Um, there's a lot more we can do to bring more dynamic characters with seemingly contradictory traits, right? Like, because that's what's real. Yeah. I mean, okay, while we're on the topic of, of media and representation, right? I, I just want to, I'm dying to ask this question. A lot of the media and representation regarding sexual violence and sexual assault comes from the West. It comes mm-hmm. from the Me Too movement. It comes from big celebrities in the US um, that are speaking out about this issue, right? Um, what do you think, you know, I mean, this is a, it's a lovely movement. It's a great movement. But what do you think that this movement has that gets lost in translation that doesn't relate to us as Singaporeans or as Indian Singaporeans? Do you think that there's... Um, there are bits of it that don't translate that you in your position as a Singaporean Indian mm-hmm. can help to bridge that gap to uh, young Singaporean girls, young Indian Singaporean girls. I need to internalize this question a bit. Mm. So like, because from my experience, I think people have taken it quite well in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's because like majority of my demogra- uh, demographics are like also people within my age range, like within my generation Mm -hmm. so um if we're talking about people who couldn't quite understand some parts or it gets lost in translation Mm -hmm. it would be the older generation okay like one of the things that i tend to do when i go for shoots Mm -hmm. is that i like to engage in these conversations Mm -hmm. with the people that i'm filming with and it's they are not used to this. Like they, they usually chat about like um other productions or um stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about those things. I talk about I just go and I'm like um straight up just talking about like marriage or not wanting to have kids and mm-hmm. all of these things. And I usually have these conversations with people who are older. Mm-hmm. And you can really see the way that they cannot even imagine why we would not want to have kids. Mm-hmm. Why we would want to openly talk about sexual violence. Mm -hmm. Why we would even want to talk about gay marriages. Mm -hmm. Like, how is that natural? Like, these kind of things. Like, you can really see them trying to process, like, why we stand so passionately for these rights. Mm -hmm. 
and they are even more confused about the fact that I don't get offended when they have to say their their point of view. Okay. Yeah, you know I mean. Mm, yeah. So I don't know how to answer your question. I mean, I like the point about. I think the point that that that's most interesting for me is about kids, mm. right? Having kids, mm. um, about your choice and your bodily autonomy mm-hmm. to choose to have kids. I don't think this is so much of an issue in the West, at least in representations of the media that I've seen. It's not really an issue that gets a lot of airtime. But in Singapore, it's a big deal. I mean, Chinese yeah. New Year just passed, right? Every, <laughs> you know, I'm sure many uh, women, in, uh, Chinese women in our audience can, can definitely relate. But yes, that is tied to uh, issues of feminism, issues of bodily autonomy, and that is quite a uniquely Singaporean, if not Asian, mm. issue. So yeah, that 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 is quite helpful. Well, I wonder if it's you know just just thinking as a historian, like we live in the period of most dramatic, fastest cultural change, technological change, yeah, um, intellectual change in all of human history. You know, for for most of our history. Um, things barely culture barely changed you could look at a period of several hundred years in many major civilizations um, for example in the Indian subcontinent before the British arrived or the Chinese subcontinent uh, Chinese well in China before you know until the 1800s and the lives of people say uh, in China in you know in the 18 hundreds would have been virtually the same and recognizable to people in the 1500s mm. right but the way we live today is unrecognizable to someone you know 30 years ago mm. Mm. and mm. this is very scary um and i think also it has created generations who are drastically different from each other and Definitely. I think this is part part of it yeah. in like one of my therapy sessions um, I remember my therapist telling me that when we try to push for change and someone else is so fixated on the reality that they, they are familiar with mm. and when we bring something that challenges them it's not just the idea that we're challenging we're challenging their entire world yeah, their sense it's, of self. Yeah, their yeah. sense of self, uh, the things that they believed in, what they, um, you know, the kind of decisions that they made. Mm-hmm. And that can be a very scary experience for people who didn't grow up with the rapid changes that mm-hmm. my generation went through. Mm. Like, I, I remember, like, the pager, and then a few years later, my dad had a phone. Like, mm. that's how that's how quickly things changed mm-hmm. for my generation. So... I'm okay with like, you know, um, having a new perspective because change was the only constant for us. Mm-hmm. And I think universally this is true. Like change is the only constant. It's just that for them, for the older generation, perhaps it was at a much slower pace. Yeah. So when we go there, um, that's why like when I told my mom that I had sex already, like that was a huge culture shock for her <laughs> and all because... She could have never imagined herself ever saying this to her parents. Mm-hmm. And her, the way she grew up, like, you know, she didn't have sex before marriage because that was, like, unacceptable. It was wrong. You could be, like, stoned for these kind of things and mm-hmm. stuff. So mm-hmm. she understood that we live in a very different reality now. Like, things have changed drastically. Mm-hmm. And I think she recognized that the world is better for a woman like me today mm-hmm. because we are 
not just seen as objects anymore. We are seen as individuals with agency and autonomy over our bodies. So in a way, you've, you've kind of shifted her perspective, yeah. right? You've set her on this path. Yeah. And but the only reason that I can have conversations with her about like feminism and all this now, even like sexual health and all of these mm-hmm. things, is because she has accepted that you know, what she knew of the world is no longer what is the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, that is an important step for anyone to take before we can have that conversation to really understand one, one another's perspective. Mm. Yeah. So speaking about change, right, I want to ask, what are your plans for the future? What's in the pipeline? What's in the works <laughs> right now? You've got a ton of things. I'm not going to go through the list again, but, you know, what are, you, what, what are you working on? What are you looking forward to um, in the months or years to come? So I'm someone who likes to keep taking on new things and learning about new things. So yeah. I, my, newest, my newest venture is being a financial planner now. And Uh-oh. I'm not trying to like market myself or anything. I'm just saying like why I took it on. Mm-hmm. And it's because I was never taught financial literacy. Mm-hmm. And when I learned about it through this like work it made me realize same as like sexual violence where I didn't understand what consent was mm-hmm. um, until I was 21 yeah. it was at the age of 21 that I understood what consent was and um, that is a huge problem and I realized I needed to talk about it I needed to like give people information though, so that people can make informed decisions right so like mm-hmm. whenever I see the opportunity to be able to do that with anything whether it's racism whether it's um, financial literacy whether it's sexual violence I grasp at it Mm -hmm. because I think that it's all interlinked I think privilege plays a huge part in our understanding of world issues and social issues Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes even internalized issues and I just hope to continue doing that Mm -hmm. I just hope to continue expanding and exploring new terrains and continue speaking up nice you know, this this if I can just make a comment, you know, this this is uh, and it goes back to uh, what we were talking about schools earlier. These are sort of things we really should be teaching kids absolutely. in schools: financial absolutely. literacy, planning, how to do your taxes, how to exactly. you know save money, mm-hmm. how to cook, uh, but also you know sex education, consent, bodily autonomy, gender, gender Gen- identities. Like, I think it's such a terrible thing that we don't teach because of like the the three seven seven a like there's so much restrictions as to what we can teach when it comes to sexual education right like and it's very it's very heterosexual mm-hmm. um and only those who are heterosexual have access to this limited st- structure of sexual health education mm-hmm. and anyone who falls outside of that they they still get like this shitty <laughs> information and they have to rely on other things to learn more about their sexuality gender identity and all Mm. and it's just additional it it just shows that you know like that you just have to take and put in more effort to live the same quality of life as someone Mm -hmm. who is heterosexual someone who is the majority race in a certain country someone who is affluent Mm. who fits into the boxes that you were talking about yeah Yeah. so i'm going to end off with the question that we end off with every uh discussion which is tell us about your theory of change how do you think it's going to happen and where do you see your place in change in singapore okay so (laughs) i think 
change is already happening and with every conversation with every it's the same thing that I mentioned in one of my TED talk which is that no none of us are too little or too insignificant we mm-hmm. all have um, some form of significance when it comes to change mm-hmm. and all it takes is one word one thought or one action and that can kickstart an entire motion of um, impact mm-hmm. in the right direction or the wrong if you're not being careful right yeah. so for instance when I was in primary school and when I discovered my uh, when I learned more about my abuse and like that really hit me right mm-hmm. I was ready to like okay trigger warning uh, self harm okay um, mm-hmm. I was ready to take my life mm-hmm. And I had already made up my mind. And the one thing that changed my decision was that this girl who was in my class, she asked if she could sit with me for recess. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing that stopped me from taking my life that day. Mm-hmm. And like that created such a huge impact and profound understanding that no action is insignificant. Like mm-hmm. You might not know the impact of your action now, but it's definitely made an impact in somebody's life. And you have to have faith in that mm-hmm. because people don't always talk about it outwardly, mm-hmm. but you just have to believe. Mm-hmm. And I think that my part in all of this is just to continue to challenge and talk about things that are difficult to talk because only by talking mm-hmm. and conversing, we can normalize these things mm-hmm. or the conversation of it. Mm-hmm. It's the same as like if you have a some form of a wound, you don't you don't just pour anything and f- give any kind of prescription. You have to dissect it. You have to look. You have to go within and see what it is. Is there an infection? Mm-hmm. Um, all that sort of stuff. You have to dig deeper, mm-hmm. and only after then you can give a prescription or a diagnosis. Mm. You know, one of the things that I kind of want to point out here, right before we wrap up, is how interesting your profile is you're a financial mm. planner you were you're a vasantham actress yeah um these are not things i would say that i stereotypically associate with activism yeah with social justice and you found a way to kind of <laughs> make it to kind of turn it into social justice issues right yeah uh and i think that's really that's really fantastic because Thank then you. you know because that just that really shows that whatever you want to do you know, whatever your calling is, whatever your interest is, you can find a way to take from experiences that we all have yeah. um, to draw from people and resources that we have and make a change and make a difference. And that was, Absolutely. I think, one of the most interesting things about you and your profile and your work. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that that's really, really fascinating, really, really interesting. Um, it, how it does shows, your, mm-hmm, yeah. it, it, it just shows, you know, you, you work with what you have, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, the your ability to create change doesn't have to be the same as anyone else's, yeah. but you should play to your strengths. Yeah. You know, if you're good at making money, you make money, and then you use that money to create positive change. Mm. Mm. Whereas if you're good at, uh, say, if you're tall and athletic, you go mm. play basketball, and then you use that platform to want to create change. Yeah. Right. Like like uh, you know things that LeBron James is, is yeah. saying on on Twitter, mm-hmm. right? Or you know if you're like me, you're good at history. Well, then you do that and try and use that to create change, but. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no one one path. Everything yeah. is, and and of course, it's all hard work, right? For you, you know, 
you're good looking you're you are a good actress right so you use those things to create a platform that mm-hmm. allows you to create change right yeah. and that's totally legit mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so yeah, absolute <laughs> absolute final question to wrap up okay, right i'm okay. just gonna throw you on the i'm gonna try to put you on the spot here okay. what's one big major thing that singaporeans just don't seem to understand about sexual assault the biggest thing that they you know that they often overlook there's just so many like I need to pick one <laughs> actually while you're thinking about that there's mm-hmm. something I want to ask where at the beginning when you said sexual assault is way more prevalent uh, than most people assume and actually I, I started wondering do we have some sort of or maybe you know in your work aware are there some sort of estimated statistics because one thing we know is that most cases of sexual assault are not reported. Yeah. Right? So is there some sort of... Uh, I, I know there was this uh, recent study. Was it one in five people have experienced it's sexual harassment? One in three women have experienced sexual violence. So this is oh, the latest well, Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. I was referring to a different one where uh, one in five women have experienced That's sexual harassment. That's a U.S. College, right? U.S. Colleges? No, no, this was an aware study. Oh, okay. One in five women have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. But wow. I think you're talking, you, you've got a different study. One in three women have One experienced... One in three women have experienced sexual violence at any one point of their uh, lifetime or more. Um, but this is based on reported stats. So the mm. truth is it could be much worse. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I would like to that I would like to point out that Singaporeans just do not understand is that sexual violence does not have to be violent for it to be sexual violence. Mm. Yes. In mm. fact, um, coercion. Coercion, yeah. Gaslighting, manipulation. Yes. It yeah. doesn't have to be physical for it to be sexual violence. Sexual violence. There are several ways. So long as you are violating a person's sense of safety in a sexual nature, that is sexual violence. All right, Devika Panika, I'm going to thank you so much for joining us. That's been absolutely enlightening, right? How you went from showbiz (laughs) to speaking out about one of the most difficult, culturally difficult topics to speak out in Singapore, let alone the Indian community. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Like, I tend to ramble on, so I hope I didn't ramble off point. But thank you for asking me such... Like, thank you for asking me such like um, specific questions, and I'm glad that I got to discuss as, as this a with man. You. Those were really, really amazing, enlightening thank answers. You. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us, Devika. Thank you as always, Sean, for co-hosting for your questions, mm-hmm. and as always, thank you to you, our listener, for joining us. And if you've enjoyed this, please do join New Narrative as a member. We really do need your support to create more of this content. So please go to newnarrative.com slash join to join or to donate newnarrative.com slash donate. Thank you very much and see you next time. We've come way too far. Where you think that you're gonna go?